everyone, welcome back to another week of Tudor Talk Time. We hope you liked last week's episode and this week we're going to be looking at Lady Rochford. Yay! Okay. So, go on Phoebe, yeah. introduce her. Well, she was actually born Jane Parker and she was the daughter of Henry Parker, who was Lord Marley. <laughs> and her mother was Alice St. John, who was actually a distant cousin of King Henry the Seventh on his mother's side, Margaret Beaufort. So that is quite a dwindled side of the family, so it's quite <laughs> cool that there actually is a living relative. <laughs> yeah, she lived a relatively rich childhood, uh, with her father being a lord. She was brought up result. in court, and at 15 she became a maid of honour to Catherine of Aragon. Mm-hmm. And... Throughout, she is most known for having served five queens. And so throughout her time, she obviously gains the trust of lots of different people. And she obviously attends the big court events. She yeah. will, including um, in the same year, in the same year that she starts serving under Catherine of Aragon, she also attends the Field of Cloth of Gold. Which, so that really says a lot about how well respected she is. Yeah, but that's also such an experience. And we won't go into what the field of the cloth of gold is yet, because that's like a whole episode in yeah. itself. I, I can see Phoebe literally like brimming with but it. By t- 1522, she was basically on all of the court's radar. She was this young star. Very pretty. She danced in pageants with Anne Boleyn. Yeah. So, so famously, that's I'm the first place. And, okay, basically, it's like... I'll explain it because Lara doesn't understand. <laughs> so it's basically the kind of pageants that they would do is so we know that Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII most likely met when Anne uh, danced in a pageant under the which virtue was she? So which Anne played perseverance. It was one of these city court plays, you know, like the women were like the trap. They were like trapped. Um, they were like trapped virtues and they had to come and be rescued because I don't know, like the devil or something had trapped them. I don't know, that's kind of the vibe. Um, so she appeared in that co- in that pageant alongside Anne um, as Constancy. Jane's good comings continued. I mean, by the end of 1524, she was married to George Boleyn, yeah. the infamous Anne Boleyn's brother. Also, let's talk about the fact that all her portraits are really pretty as well. And also, as a wedding gift, the king gave them a manor. Quite a good manor. In Grimston, Norfolk. Considering nowadays, but I'd say the equivalent of a that kind of wedding gift now would be like a La Crusade box. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Grimston, in Norfolk. Grimston, Norfolk. And she's on oh. the up. So in 1529, George's father becomes the Earl of Wiltshire, and George becomes Viscount Rochford. Because... This- Henry has his eye on Anne. This makes him just like one of the most powerful men in court. He has loads of possessions. He's really wealthy. And also, so Anne Boleyn had actually become queen in 1533. So naturally we were in the process of lifting up all of Anne's family members. And she is sister-in-law to her. To the Um, queen. Um, so yeah, she is really loyal to Anne. Um, and it's... It is quite surprising how loyal she is to Anne, considering what she does later. But remember that she was very, she's very, very loyal, loyal to Anne. I mean, um, for example, when Henry actually was unfaithful to Anne and went to Jane to basically get rid of this mistress and Jane complied, they went along with this plan 
to replace the mistress with somebody who's more loyal to Anne and you can see that they were in this plotting together that's quite a sign of friendship you know or at least trust and actually because of this scheme Jane was dismissed from her post of lady-in-waiting and banished from court so she's gone quite far for Anne. In 1535 there's um Mary, who is the daughter of Henry VIII, was seen in public. And at this point, obviously, Mary's illegitimate. Um, but much of the public, they feel really sorry for her. And they just really believe that she is the true princess and she has loads of public support. And there were loads of pro, almost protesters who went to kind of support her on the streets. And this was treason, obviously, declaring her to be the true princess. And Lady Rochford was one of, was amongst the people who were arrested for treason which is why it seems so weird that she is reported to have been so loyal to Anne Boleyn because now, considering her connection to Anne, she's now so supportive of Mary. She's really playing both sides. Yeah, it seems like she's kind of playing the side that, I don't know, It's I just can't even really understand it because it's so soon. Yeah. Yeah. One year she's plotting with Anne, trying to support her to the best of her ability. The next year she's risking her life for Mary. It's just... It's, yeah, she's definitely playing both sides. Um, Well, I have, like, this is just a quote on her personality, but it's from an usher of the court, George Cavendish, uh, who knew Jane and definitely had no love for the Boleyns. So naturally, his view is slightly condescending, but he says that she'd been brought up without a bridle, left to follow her lust and filthy pleasure, wasting her youth. She had no respect for her marriage vows and did not fear God. So... You know, she's not loved by all, necessarily, but that's just, maybe that's why she kind of went to support Mary's side. She was like, oh, tits. So, so she was like, oh, shoot, uh, Anne's not that popular. But even after, so Anne is executed, Jane would visit Mary very often. And probably the most likely explanation is that her father, what was his name, Lord Morley, was very really liked the princess and basically she was a figure of kind of just greatness in his household and so he would take Jane to visit Mary um her dad Lord Morley had actually served Margaret Beaufort and was there when Margaret died and at this point when Margaret died people kind of blamed the Boleyn family so obviously that means sorry how how old was she at this point Okay. <laughs> so Lord Morley was obviously very much a supporter of Mary over Elizabeth and Anne Boleyn, which is probably why Jane but went to visit so much. Yeah, again, he still allows his daughter to marry a Boleyn. Yeah. It yeah. seems like this family is a bit like... They're a bit all over the place. Yeah. They're a bit all over the place. Or maybe, you know, it's like she married a Boleyn and then he's like, oh, God. Um, But then 1536... We're back with um, Lord Morley, and he is plotting Anne's ruin. So that's his daughter's sister's in sister-in-law. So plot my sister, plot my cousin's girlfriend's downfall. Yeah, tell everyone my husband is uh, trying to produce an heir with his sister, which yeah. Jane did in fifteen thirty-six. Possibly told by her father um, to say that she knew that. Anne slept with her husband, a.k.a. Anne's brother, George. Now, this accusation of incest is 
pretty very much damning for the Boleyn family. It's also, yeah. it's also def- was definitely used to like shock Henry into back, like back into sporting Mary, which uh, I wouldn't say it does. It doesn't shock him. Everyone's just like, yo, we knew there was something wrong with um, her kind of thing. Actually, ladies who served Anne Boleyn um, referred to Jane as George's wicked wife and betrayer of Anne Boleyn. So she was not regarded well for this within yeah. know, the Boleyn circle, especially. Um, and it definitely, I would say it's fair to say, implies that this marriage was not a happy one between Jane and George. Yeah, probably, no you know, probably didn't love him. Yeah. And I when, would put my money on that. <laughs> when he does die, she gets to retire out to the country. But she is left in a really bad state financially after this. Um, and I, she oh. needs to get help from her father-in-law. But so there is some sense the Blins do help her afterwards. Yeah, but one of the main things is um, throughout the kind of uh, court hearings and stuff, she was asked to... Uh, sorry, not asked. Um, she... In order to keep the title Lady Rochford, because he'd been given uh, Viscount Rochford and, like, you know, the lands and stuff. So, to, so in order for her to remain with something, because it's clear he's um, going down to, um, she does take the stand against George Boleyn and Anne Boleyn and accuses them of this in court. She actively betrays him in order to, because she's told that it's the only way to preserve the title and the lands and kind of... The Berlin name, like she's now quite concerned with, cons- yeah. she's concerned with conserving their image, their dynasty kind of thing. So he was not a good man. Uh, he had some very questionable actions. He was considered not chaste and living bestial. Uh, and it's also said that he spared none at all. So I think you can put the pieces together and think what that might be referring to. Um, so, and even on the scaffold, he admitted that his sins were so shameful they were beyond belief, and he had known no man so evil. So he does admit to being a bad guy, although he never admits to the accusations of him and Anne. Trying to give her a bit more of an even, like, playing field that her husband, I don't think the marriage failing was necessarily her, her fault. I personally would have liked to have nothing to do with this man. He seems like a real... He does seem a, real, a bit slimy. Yeah, slimy. That's the word that I can say on this family-friendly podcast because it's just... Sleazy. Sleazy. Bit of a nuisance. Bit of I was going to say nonsense. Sorry. <laughs> bit of a meanie. Bit of a meanie. Um, bit of a party pooper. It's okay because he dies. Yeah. Um... And she, we, as we said, she goes to the country. She becomes a lady of the bedchamber to Jane Seymour. And she was kind of so prominent in that role. That Queen number was, three. She was actually way. selected to hold Mary's train at Jane's funeral. Um, so this is, yeah, her third queen she's serving. Fourth queen, she was lady of the bedchamber to Anne of Cleves. And actually, Wife this all. is... This is, this is <laughs> for anyone counting. This is the four queens she served under, and this is quite a strange story because Henry obviously wanted a very quick divorce from Anne of Cleves, and Jane was Jane provided evidence that Anne had said to her that the marriage had not been consummated to help Henry get this quick divorce, which is strange that she sides with Henry in this, but I guess yeah. shows her loyalty. 
Yeah. Um, I also think it's her kind of role as well um, in Irma's household is very much like, so, um, well, because there were no, when there's not a queen, there tends to be not many women at court because most women of, of the court kind of come from the ladies and waiting and stuff like that. And so it was kind of a lot of the like previous ladies had kind of like retired and Lady Rochford comes back. Um, she kind of comes back as kind of, as more of like a kind of guide to, cause it's, there's quite a lot of younger girls who are becoming ladies and waiting and she, she just sort of guides them, you know, she's one of the older women. She's kind of like a matron, I guess, you know. She te- you know, she's like telling them what she's like, go to bed now, do this now, kind of thing. We seem like we're in a good place with Jane. I mean, she's a lady in waiting. She's now. being loyal. She's There's being a lot loyal. of stuff. She's making really sensible decisions. Yeah. And but... then we get on to the fifth life. Catherine Howard. Um, if you've listened to our episode on Catherine Howard, you might know that her promiscuity was a little bit of an issue within court. Her affair with Thomas Culpepper, it is said that Jane fully facilitated this. She allowed it to happen, she covered for Catherine, and so obviously when it comes to light, Jane is arrested. Um, There is actually a letter from um, Catherine saying, come when my lady Rochford is here, for then I shall be at leisure to be at your commandment. So obviously Jane was the main leader in facilitating this at this point it's most likely that she was under the influence of her uncle-in-law um who was so catherine howard's uncle and of course and Boleyn's uncle um the the duke of norfolk and so she most likely is kind of doing as she's told because it is the duke of norfolk after all who has brought her back to court um you know as one of the main people behind her getting her place back in court when there were new queens and he is most likely very preoccupied with making sure that his niece has a son while she's married to henry because then they have an heir he doesn't really care where it comes from. He knows Henry's old. He knows Henry's most likely having a a little trouble in the bedroom, shall we say. Um, and that she... And so he... You know, it's kind of... I don't know. It seems as though he was like, you know, get find someone Catherine likes and, like, make it so that they can uh, sleep together and then hopefully she'll get pregnant and no one will know that it wasn't by the king because she's still sleeping with the king a little bit. But, you know, he probably won't know. Uh, the main reason he wanted to do this is, you know, the heir, also because the rival family to the Howards, the Seymours, uh, had an heir. And he most likely was not happy with this. He was like, not having this. We need to get in the fight. So that's just a bit of background as to probably why. Also, another thing about the affair is she clearly was very, very involved in it because she had helped them meet in secret. And it's thought that she most likely let them use her own bedroom at court. Like, that's how involved she was. Back to Lady Rochford in the prison. Um, she rightfully so was very scared of what was going to happen to her. I mean, she'd seen what happened to Anne Boleyn once she ended up in the tower. Uh, and it's actually said that she was seized with raving madness. And the trick here was that the law actually did not permit 
somebody who was mad or accused of treason in, in 1541 and in 1542 an act which which was enabled uh, yeah. the king to put an insane traitor to death was passed um, and guys it's our favourite thing that's pulling up pulling through it's an act of a traitor so she gets beheaded February just after Catherine actually she follows Catherine onto the scaffold I believe and she is just literally screaming. Like, as in, like, she is trying to do the whole crazy thing until she literally is, like, walking behind Catherine up to the scaffold and she's like, oh, wait, what? Oh, <laughs> oh wait, you're actually going to execute me? Child, what? I feel like possibly it's a crazy thing. Maybe she, maybe she did go crazy. I would go crazy. I'd, oh, go, I'd crazy. go crazy in that court. Um, On that note, Jane's head was displayed on the Tower Bridge. <laughs> Uh, I, read, I thought it was London I Bridge. Bit. London Bridge. I didn't mean to say London Bridge. Apologies. She did mean London Bridge. You know In 1876, what? experts excavated some graves along the chancel. Chancel? Chancel? <laughs> I don't know. This bit. Chancel. Chancel. It's almost certain that they that the bones reburied as Lady Rochford were actually Anne Boleyn's. Fun little fact for you there. Fun little crossover at the very end. Fun they little They thought they'd had enough crossover. of each other, but not quite. Um, <laughs> you know, I would love to know if there was an afterlife, what their conversation would be yeah. when Lady Rochford turned up. No, I also would I would also love to know what the conversation between her and George Cavendish was when he arrived in the afterlife because uh, many years after she dies, uh George Cavendish, lovely George Cavendish, we, we all know how much he loves Lady Rochford. He wrote that Lady Rochford's uh um <clears throat> slander forever shall be right. So he basically is just like I'm gonna keep slandering this I woman. Ne- you'll never hear a good word Slaying, about this woman. Yeah, like, you know like, what? His commitment to the cause is impressive. But you know what? You know, saying that she was lu- she was foul of lust and luxury. Yeah. Like he was just going for it. He was like he was like, oh she's she's dead. But you no, know, maybe she kick was. Her down. I don't really think she was the most morally sound person. Yeah. Can we just be honest? But the thing is, you she can't did survive in the Tudor people. court. You can't survive in the Tudor court being morally sound. No, but then she like I, I'm not slating what she did. I'm saying she can't expect to not be called out for it. If you do, I, it. my if you dish big, it, you gotta take it. My big thing is that when she was like, "Oh, Anne, don't worry, I'll help you get rid of that mistress." Like, don't worry, we'll do it together, best friends. And then she leaves and goes, "Hi, Maz. Did you miss I, me? I've always liked Mary. Yeah, I've always <laughs> I don't been know what you're on about. Mary, she's crafty. She's crafty. But I also think it must be very hard." Hard for her. Oh my god! I'm literally always defending. They can literally commit like, it like they can literally be a serial killer, and I'd be like, "But guys, the patriarchy." It's like on this podcast, Laura and I will be like, "She might have been a little crazy," and Katie will go, "Yeah, but yeah, but she was a woman." Okay, can I just say? But I do respect it. I my respect point is, I yeah, think she first was crafty, of all, but you have to be able all, to take it. I respect the hustle. I think she was able to take it in the end. Well, well she kind of thought she could get away with it. Anyways, I my point that I wanted to make is that I think that it must have been a little tricky for her with the whole Anne versus Catherine thing because her father is very clearly kind of pro-Catherine, pro-Mary, woo-woo-woo, Catholicism. Love that. And I love that for him, you know? Like, I really, I understand it, you know? And then on the other side... She's literally married to the brother of Anne. Like, so she kind of, 
she's she has to like from a societal point of view she has to have loyalties to both sides otherwise she's betraying one of them so i do think she was i think she was probably stuck in between a bit of a rock and a hard place if you will um on a final note (laughs) sorry on a final note for me my thought is just isn't it it baffles me how these people who just it's they don't get along none of them agree on anything somehow came together kind of like okay we'll work with it for a little bit and then realized yeah it's not not, for us not for us and then just everyone dies Oh. That I'm pretty sure you just summed up the entirety of Henry VIII, sorry. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's just life. That's literally factionalism as now. well. No yeah. one gets long and we all die. But anyway, thank Let us you all. Know if you want to. <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you yes. next week on Tudor Talk Time. <laughs>